In the realm of true crime, every crime scene tells a story. Every story has its truths. These are the stories from inside the crime scene tape that separates fact from fiction. crime reporter goes inside the yellow crime scene tape. I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs with decorated former federal prosecutor Bill Johnston. You can follow our journey into darkness and get bonus episodes by joining our true crime community at truecrimereporter.com. Our true crime cases are stranger than fiction. With that said, Here's a classic police procedural, a true crime reporter, confidential. All right, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your heads. Get off the bar and get on the wall. That's the voice of Gene Hackman playing the role of NYPD narcotics detective Jimmy Popeye Doyle in the 1972 Academy Award-winning movie, The French Connection. Anybody want a milkshake? Doyle is bad news, but he's a good cop. We're going now. Bye. How many times have I been down hard and looked up and saw him smiling like a shining dime? Yeah. It's considered among the best American crime films ever made, and contains one of the greatest car chases in movie history. The film achieved its unparalleled realism with help from then-NYPD homicide detective Randy Jurgensen. Jurgensen was the technical consultant and acted in the movie. He even appears on the movie's poster with Gene Hackman. Jurgensen worked the mean streets of Harlem for 16 years. A few days after celebrating the French Connection's Oscars, Jurgensen became embroiled in the most notorious case in the history of NYPD. The book title Circle of Six details his determined effort to bring to justice the murderer of police officer Philip Cardillo, who was killed in a Harlem mosque in 1972. For fans of crime films, you're about to hear Jurgensen's inside stories about the making of The Godfather and The French Connection. The French Connection, a millionaire exporter with a record too clean to be true. The plot of The French Connection, based on the book by the same title, was inspired by a real case of heroin smuggling in New York City during the 1960s. Back then, heroin flowed into the U.S. East Coast through France. All right, let's hit him. Hit him! Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider based their characters on narcotics detectives Eddie Egan and Sonny Grosso. Their pursuit of a wealthy French heroin smuggler is based on a record-setting seizure in 1968 of 246 pounds of heroin hidden inside a car transported aboard a French ocean liner. The French Connection won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. 
In the 1950s, Jurgensen served as an Army paratrooper during the Korean War. He fought in the bloody Battle of Porkchop Hill. He received three Bronze Stars and the Purple Heart. After the war, Randy Jurgensen joined the NYPD. I was sent to uh, a precinct, the 25th Precinct, and that was in the midst of Spanish Harlem. And that was a very, very unique precinct. As far as you could go on the east side, it was Italian, and there were people speaking Italian. And then as you came into the middle of the precinct, it was Spanish, and there were people speaking Spanish. It was very defined. And all the way to the right, which now working towards the west side, uh, th th that was a black community. And so, you know, I did 18 months or 16 months working in different parts of that precinct, you know, but being raised and born in New York City and being raised out on the street, you know, I could see at a distance, you know, what was going on. It wasn't teaching me anything. I, 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 I knew this. I, I knew this. Look, uh, my father was a bookmaker and was arrested. Uh, my, my, my uncle used to take the sports bets. Uh, I, I worked for a black man. Uh, called Clint, taking uh, street street numbers at 13 and 14. So when I got to this precinct, I, I, I saw it all. So one day after um, a shooting, um, a, a, a minor shooting, I was in court. And a captain came to me in court and asked me how long I was on the job and how old I was. And the next thing I knew, I was uh, uh, being interviewed and accepted into uh, narcotics. Now, there, there's, there's about three different levels of narcotics. I, I suppose the lowest level, the most active one, and probably the most dangerous one is the, and I know it is, is the street narcotics. So I was out in the street uh, purchasing, buying, buying narcotics. While I was doing that, the unit in the, the unit was working on major major drug drug busts. These street street ones, if you could work your way up the line, you would finally get. It. But they were already there. So uh, one day in nineteen late nineteen sixty two, they made this they made this bust. And as you have as you have said, not. Quantity-wise, but quality, it's never been matched ever since then. It was damn near 90% pure. So that got into the paper. That uh, called the attention of a writer by the name of Robin Moore. And Robin Moore had written a book called The Green Berets. And so Robin Moore was allowed to hang out with us in narcotics. And out of that came the book called The French Connection. And of course, out of that came the movie, The French Connection. Jerkinson says William Billy Friedkin, the director of the movie, asked him to give the actors a taste of life on the streets. Now, as soon as the cast was in place, Roy Scheider, Gene Hackman, and of course, Billy Friedkin, well, then I went to work as a narcotic detective and I took them with me in the street. So 
after about two or three weeks of doing that, and, and some of it was a little a little dairy going into the mm-hmm. uh, daring mm-hmm. going into the shooting gallery. Um, and a little side note here: Billy Freakin, uh, one time um, Eddie Egan, being Eddie Egan, gave Billy Freakin the gun, gave him his gun when we went through the door. You know, so I I, I didn't approve of that. So by the by the end of three weeks, possibly four weeks, I I had turned Billy Freakin, Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider into narcotic detectives. How the bust went down, the fingerprints, the pictures, the whole thing, how I got the information and so forth and so on. And that's how, that's how, I guess I would say, ingratiated me uh, into the motion picture. It it wasn't so much like a, a consultant or a technical advisor. And throughout the picture, I was constantly asked, you know, not that, are you doing this right? Are they doing that right? Are they doing the other thing right? So forth and so on. So that's what, that's what I did for the, for every day off that I had, I even took vacation to make that picture, to continually to make that picture. The French Connection features one of the greatest car chases in movie history. The chase scene was set to begin with Hackman as Detective Popeye Doyle commandeering a motorist 1971 Pontiac Le Mans in order to pursue a hitman trying to escape on an elevated subway train through Brooklyn. Uh, The Pontiac comes in from Detroit. It's got 37 miles on it. And Gene Hackman gets in there just to get the feel of it. And as he's taking the car out, you know, just, just normally driving, he gets cut off. And he hits the pillar. This is the true story. He hits the pillar, and we had to take him to the emergency room. And 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 that car, we would use it later on, but we had to get another car. Director Billy Friedkin climbed into the back seat to film the first reel of the car chase staged under the elevated track of the BMT West Line in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Bill Hickman, known as the best and most fearless stunt driver of all time, doubled for Gene Hackman at the steering wheel in the dangerous scenes. Hickman had previously appeared as a hitman and getaway driver in the famous chase scene of the 1968 movie Bullet. He drove the black Dodge Charger 440 Magnum pursued by Steve McQueen in a Ford Mustang 390 GT. The streets were empty of pedestrians and cars in Bullet. Director Billy Friedkin wanted the French Connection chase scene to be different, real different. He challenged Hickman's driving talent to raise the action up a notch. By the way, Although Hickman was not shown driving in the French Connection, he played an on-screen role as an ornery, wisecracking FBI agent who gets under Popeye Doyle's skin. So this is the way that the master in the chase went down. Billy Freakin was going, we we, we mounted, when I say we, remember, I'm talking of the movie company, not me yet. So they mounted a camera on the front bumper of the car. And then they had a, uh, a, a, a camera 
that Billy freaking got in the back, in the back seat, right? And he held that camera like on the front seat. It was like locked in on the front seat there. Now, in the front seat on the passenger side, I'm sitting. At first, they wrapped me in a mattress and they said, well, that, that's not going to work. And so because I had the wire for the kill switch that was on the camera in the front. And so I would turn that camera on and turn that camera off when I was told. Bill Hickman did the driving. So what we were going to do was to just take, just go and do it. Uh, did we have a permit to be in the street? Were there uniformed police officers there? I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, you know, I spoke to the police officers and I said, you know, I, I, I think it's time for a cup of coffee, guys. And so they all went off to have a cup of coffee and we got in the car. Now, as we get in the car, Bill Hickman, I, 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 I remember this, Bill Hickman is smoking and he's got a, a cigarette in the ashtray and Billy gets into the car and the language goes something like this. You know, Hickman, you haven't shown me shit. You haven't shown me anything yet. We're going to need this. I mean, we're unprotected. You, we we got to get this. We can only do it once. In the meantime, I see Hickman and he's taking out another cigarette and he's lighting, lighting the cigarette. And I'm saying to myself, I'm going to die today. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die. And so <clears throat> with that said, we went 26 blocks. There was no siren. We did pick up wild sound. Uh, there was no, uh, uh, as I've been told, oh, there was a jelly bean on top. No, there was not, because if it was, it would show in the camera when the red came on. So the first thing that happened was that we careened off of a city bus and that broke the side view mirror of where I was. And it was going free, going free. And in not, no time flat, it slammed up against the, uh, slammed up against the glass and it, bro it, bro it broke the glass. And we kept right on going. At one point, he was driven up onto the sidewalk and we hit uh, gates that had a chain on it. And once that was broke, it, it really was a, a junkyard and there were two or three dogs in there and they came out, out onto the street. We kept right on going, getting onto the sidewalk. In the meantime, you know, Billy's camera is, Billy's camera is right by my ear and I hear it. So we get all the way down and at the end of the conclusion, he whips the car around and it's all over. It's all over. And Billy says, let's do it going back. And we start going back and we didn't get five or six blocks. And I hear Billy's camera, click, 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 click. It's out of tape. It's out of film. And I said to Billy, we're out. We just kept right on going and we finished back. Now that's called the master. That's a beginning and an end. And of course, it took us two weeks and I was much involved in that, in, in the hits, the purposely hits the stage hits, the cars crashing into each other. But yes, that was done without a permit. It is five minutes on the screen and it cost $100,000 to do. What you see 
was real, R-E-A-L, going on to R-E-E-L. No green screen, no computer, no speeded up film. That's it. And so when you sideswipe the bus, Mm. that wasn't planned. It just happens. No, no, nothing was planned. Nothing. It certainly, it certainly wasn't planned that we would go headfirst into those into those two gates. Who had to back the car out of the junk shop and 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 keep right on going. And you know, we form a crash right by that junkyard. We form a crash, a near miss for the car. What do you think other motorists were doing? I mean, are they dodging for their lives as you're coming through? Well, we did have the horn, and because the horn does play. Uh, in the chase, and he just leaned on the horn, leaned. He was leaning on the horn. Uh, you could smell the rubber burning because one, you know, the, the, the left foot was on the brake and the right foot was uh, was on the gas. And you could hear the car and it would go like, and it wasn't moving. It was like jumping because he had to stop to, for like a near miss. And then when he took his foot off the brake, whop, the, the tires would spin and off we would go again. Was there a moment when you're running that those blocks that you thought I'm going to die here? You know, now I've heard you know, that every time the story is told, the car was doing 90 miles an hour. It it was not. I mean, we were doing 60, 65. You could see it in there. And you know, the speed, the speed, you know, it certainly has to ma- it certainly has to match you know, the 24 frames that are going through the camera and stuff like that. I mean, when it jerks off like that, it the camera doesn't get it. So we were doing 60, 65 miles an hour. And I, I have to tell you, it you know, um, th- that's very, very scary. It, w- it, it really was scary. W- w- was I as scared that I was going to have an accident and something like that? Listen, you know, I wouldn't want to have been a part of, dear God, that we hit a pedestrian and killed them. Uh, and, 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 you know, and Billy, Billy has repeatedly, repeatedly said that, you know, I've never said that Billy has repeatedly said that, but you know, while, while in that car, even though the car is doing 65 miles an hour, my mind was doing 90 miles an hour. And it was like, just let us get through this thing without, without hurting somebody. So did you see some of yourself in Gene Hackman's character or uh, Roy Scheider? My pride, my pride in is that, you know, <laughs> I goddamn made them narcotic, narcotic cops. But, you know, actors are sponges. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, they look at everything. Uh, one of them even came up to me and said, I, I, I notice you're left-handed. I mean, you know, they yeah. absorb everything, you know? So, uh, Gene Hackman, uh, he was really, he really was Eddie Egan. He really was. Well, there's that scene when they're collecting the drugs, and boy, he is a nasty character in there. And he also, he had that that phrase he'd use, do you pick your toes? Pick your where, feet and pick Ipsy. Pick your feet. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, you know, when we would, when we would, uh, we, we would lock them up, we would lock, lock them up. They were at the bottom bottom rung of the ladder, but they had a score someplace else and they would basically not give up their source or where, where they, where they scored. And so Eddie would come along and say, I know you, I know 
you picked your feet in Poughkeepsie. You got on the end of the bed and you picked, and the guy would say, no, 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 you, you did that. And you picked your feet. No, I didn't do that. Hey, listen, you better tell me where you scored your, and, and they would. They'd come right across and say, all right, I, got, I, I scored here in this building for, for, from this guy. And, you know, it was like here led to there. And once we got that guy, where are you getting it from? Oh, well, the shipment is coming in. Y you see, it, it, it's very rarely from the top down. It's usually, uh, it's usually built, uh, uh, built on up. In the actual case, were you a lead undercover officer? What was the role you were playing? No, I, I was, uh, no. I, uh, I was always a, a street, street narcotic. I always was. I bought guns. Um, believe it or not, one time I, I bought a piece of art, and it really wasn't expensive. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but no, uh, they, I was street level, $75 a half load. Uh, these guys were dealing in keys. And at that time, a key was worth $32,000. $32,000 in 1962. Uh, I have a story about undercover. Uh, <clears throat> I was working in Alphabet City. That's the lower part of Manhattan. And I went out to make, and, and they were now insisting that we had to make a B-buy. If it wasn't dangerous enough to go in and do it once, you, you had to go in and do it a second time. So I made, I, I, I went in, I made my buy and usually up on the top floor and I, I got the drugs and I'm starting down the stairs. And as I'm starting down the stairs, I see sneakers and hands coming up the stairs and I know I'm in trouble. So I beat it back up onto the roof and I, uh, I run over a few roofs and I come down. I've lost my backup entirely. I, I come down and I get out onto the street. I get out onto a predominantly Jewish neighborhood, Delancey Street. And not everybody had televisions then, but there were televisions in Ratner's, a, a, a famous restaurant, a Jewish restaurant. And the television was there. People were standing, black and white people were watching it. And something in my stomach told me that something's not correct. I, I, I didn't know what it was. I, 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 I felt that like everything was slow motion. I didn't know what was going on. So I went into the precinct and we have to do what they call the dance. You know, my hair is long. It's a rubber band, this, that, and, you know. Um, so I have to give the sergeant at the desk, who are you? Uh, I have to give him certain numbers that he would only, you have 61, but, 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 okay. And once we get that done, and I got narcotics, and I said, Saj, I said, there's nobody here, even in the precinct. He says, uh, I got to use a word here, uh, okay? He says, I, I don't know where the fuck you've been, but they just shot the president of the United States. They shot John F. Kennedy. I don't even know what happened to that buy. I turned it in, and it was like, within the police department, I'll tell you right now, the world stood still. We did nothing, uh, nothing. Uh, we all watched television, listened to Walter Cronkite. And yep, it, 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 that was a tough one for us to, that was my last narcotic buy. I, can I give you one more French Connection story? Oh, please, please. Okay. So one day we're re, uh, they're, they're rehearsing and I see the president of the East Coast Stuntman's Association. His name is Alex Stevens. Uh, 
and he's going to fall down the stairs like the Frenchman does, right? And Billy, Billy, this is a rehearsal, and Billy is portraying Gene. And Alex does exactly what you see in the movie. So I walk over to Billy and I said, Billy, I said, this, you got Gene, who's Eddie Egan, committing murder. He says, what are you talking about? I says, well, he lost the gun on the train. I said, his hands are up in the air. He's walking away and you're shooting him in the back. And he says, yeah, don't worry about it. And I said, Billy, Billy, that's murder. I mean, you're shooting an unarmed man in the back. He looked at me and he said, I'm the director. I'm directing this movie and it'll be okay. And I walked away. <laughs> I walked away. Well, fast forward. October 8th, 11, 1200 people in the theater, premiere, French Connection. On comes that scene, right? And I'm looking at that scene. And Gene gets there. He shoots the Frenchman. There's that moment of silence. 1,100 people stand up screaming, applauding. Billy Freakin comes running up the aisle and he says to me, works for me. It works for them. I hope it works for you. <laughs> Guess what? If that's not enough, he sends me the poster, which is the poster of the, of, of the Frenchman standing with his hands up and Gene shooting him in the back. And Billy sends me the poster and he signs it and it says, it works. I go to work on the, uh, by now I'm in Screen Actors Guild. And eventually I would take the test and I would, uh, which is a pretty prestigious group called the Directors Guild of America, the DGA, which I was a member. I would work in pictures uh, 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 as a DGA. The legendary detective went on to spend his life in front of the camera and as a technical consultant on some of Hollywood's most iconic movies, including The Godfather. After this break, you will hear how Jurgensen is remembered as the hitman who killed Sonny Corleone. I'll be back after this break. Hello, this is Robert, and I want to ask a small favor. Will you please tell your friends who love true crime to follow the True Crime Reporter podcast? As you know, it's one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement experts, victims, and even convicted criminals. And please sign up for my free newsletter. The form is on every page of my website. Finally, I am so thankful to my Apple listeners who have given the podcast five-star reviews. Your reviews on all of the channels are extremely helpful in spreading the word about this podcast. Now, back to our episode. We are talking with retired NYPD detective Randy Jerkinson about his Hollywood career. His credits include more than 50 films and television shows. So I go to work on The Godfather, 
And um, of course, I meet Brando, Jimmy Kahn, Al Pacino. I meet the whole crew. And Jimmy Kahn is sort of our kind of guy, you know? He likes to go to the Copa. He likes to bounce around. And, 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 and we did a lot of that. <laughs> we, we, we did a lot of bouncing around. So, um, yeah, Al um, reserved. Al was uh, uh, very reserved on The Godfather, mainly uh, kept to himself. I, I don't mean that he would, wasn't with Brando and stuff like that. Brando spent a lot, a lot of time in his camper. I used to go and get Brando because we used to walk them to the set. Brando did a lot of talking to himself in the camp, right? I don't know if he was reading lines or whatever he was doing. But yes, so I met Al, Al, uh, I met Al on The Godfather. And, we, and we, we remained in touch. We definitely remained in touch. No, we didn't hang out or go out or anything like that. No. So one night, I get a phone call. I'm working. I'm working. I'm working in Harlem. And the call is from um, a guy that I grew up with, and he's a cop in Midtown. His name is George Bean, and he's in traffic. And I get the call up, and I'm in the Harlem homicide uh, in the squad. Randy, yeah, he says, look, we got two guys down here. Uh, <laughs> we got two guys, you know, they're a little, they're a little drunk, uh, you know, and they, they don't have a driver's license, and... Uh, I, I, and they keep mentioning your name. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll be right down. So I drove down to the precinct and there's James Kahn behind bars and uh, the, uh, the, the guy who plays uh, Salazzo, uh, you'll have to help me out, a, a, a sweetheart of a guy. He's the guy that gets uh, shot, Al Pacino shoots him in the, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. okay. And he's there. Randy, I, I said, okay, just, I said, keep your mouth shut. I said, just keep your mouth shut. So we're, we're walking out and George is, George is looking at me and George says, this never happened. I said, no, it, it, it never happened. Uh, I said, I'll, I'll get you a ticket to Godfather when it comes out, but no, this never happened. He stops. So that's uh, the guy who plays, he says, uh, can I have my license back? And now there's a sergeant. And the sergeant says, you want your license back? This is a phony license. He says to the sergeant, I paid $100 for that license, and I intend to use that license. And the sergeant looked at me, and he said, Jurgensen, get them out of here, or else they're going to be, they're going to be back, back in the bus. And, of course, Jimmy Kahn is now pulling them out to go all the way out into the street. He said, this is not right. I said, what the hell is the matter with you? You got a phony license. Jesus, I smell alcohol and stuff like this. You, you, you should be behind bars. They got out, they got in their car, and, and they drove away. That's a, that's a Godfather story. Well, in The Godfather, you are the gangster that kills Jimmy Kahn, who's playing Sonny. Tell us about, about that. And I'm on the poster. Yes, yes. I'm on the poster. Did that you help set up that scene? or No, well, uh, one day, the first assistant director came to me and he said, um, can you get three guys that can follow? And he's the one that said this. Can you get three guys that can fire sub-Thompson machine guns, which are military? And I said, yes, I can. They're all cops. Uh, I, I can. What's it about? And he said, well, you know, we're going to shoot Sonny at the toll boot 
and the toll boot was built out in Nassau Community College in Long Island. And about 10 blocks away from that is the sand dunes. And that's where they shoot the guy in the back of the head over the Ganoli. With yes. the, okay. They, we did that. They did that scene there. So I go and every time I tell the story here, we, it's not a sub Thompson. It's a regular machine gun from the forties. So uh, I misspoke on that. So we get into the boot and Coppola talks to each one of us and he puts me in the front boot and I'm holding it and I'm left-handed and the camera is to my right. And he came to me and he said, Randy, can you operate it with the other side in your right hand? I said, of course I can, because that's where the camera is. And there are pictures I don't know if you got them, but there are pictures showing me standing there uh, with the machine gun. So we did that about three or four times. What the problem was, of course, it's candy glass in there. And there are blanks uh, in there. And sometimes the blanks weren't strong enough to blow the glass out. So we did it about two or three times. And it was Coppola who came and said to the guys, look, when you pull the trigger, if the glass doesn't go out, poke it with the machine gun. You know, nobody's going to just poke it with the machine gun. So that's what we did. When it came to James Kahn, they used Trojans. There were Trojans that were fixed to him, and the wires were fixed to the Trojans. Explain what um, that is. Uh, uh, rubbers. Yes, but they're uh, filled know, with they're filled with blood. Yes, but synthetic. They're, yeah, they're filled. They're filled with something that's an orange orange in color because the blood films black. So they were using. I'm I'm pretty sure they they've come a long way, but yes. So they used they were using orange that was in there. So I don't know how many he had, but there was a board, and the board might have been 18 inches long, and it had switches on it, and there was a wire on every switch. And so when James Kahn got out, you know, and they did this only once, when James Kahn got out and they said, action, you know, we fired the machine guns off camera to, you know, to give James Kahn something to react to. And then the guy went with the switch, with the switch like that, right, right, right on down, bop, 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 bop. And, that, and, and they came right, right on up, right on up to James Kahn. When he went down, I went over and kicked him. I, I, I went over and kicked him. And, uh, you know, this is what Capola told me. I went over and kicked him. And then we got in the car and, and we drove away. That that's how that's how that 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 scene came about. Oh, and Coppola said to me, and it's <laughs> it's it's in the thing. Coppola said to me, he says, you know, Randy, you're going to be one of the most hated men in America. And I said, why? He said, there isn't a woman that isn't in love with Sonny Colleone and you're killing him. I'm telling you for the longest of times. I was known as the cop who killed Sonny Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the cop that yeah. killed Sonny Corleone. 
Yep, that's what Coppola said to me. What do you want our listeners of this podcast and people today, what do you want them to know about the, the police officer on the beat, the men and women who are out there? I want them to know, I want them to know that we, we have taken it quite seriously when we raise our right hand and swear to protect life and property. And that's what we go out and try to do every day. You, you, you don't know standing in a uniform when somebody comes up to you and says, can you help me get down to that street? I, here's this address. And you give that person that address and you give that, your day is made. Your day is made. You know, that small little gesture or whatever it is, your, your day is made. It, it's, it, it's, the, it's, the greatest, it's the greatest thing in the, the greatest thing in the world to protect people for, 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 from maybe a crazy in the street or whatever it is. So I, I, would, li I would like them to know that that's what, that's what we really do. That's, that's what we really do. You know, a good day for a cop is a day that he can help somebody, help a situation, protect somebody. That, honestly, that's what we do. That's, that's what we do. Randy Jurgensen, that's the last word. Uh, thank you for your military service in Korea, and certainly thank you for your police service. Uh, it has been a joy to talk to you about your movie career. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Th th thank you for having me on the uh, uh, having me on the show. And I, I look forward to return. Randy Jurgensen turned 84 on December 7th of 2021, and he still has projects in the works. Now, for our Godfather fans, we put a link in the show notes to a one man performance by Seth Eisler playing 37 characters from the movie. It was co-created, directed, and produced by Susan Sullivan and played off-Broadway and at numerous other places. Eisler and Sullivan are respectively the showrunner and producer working on our TV production about serial killer Kenneth McDuff, featured in the first season of True Crime Reporter. Our five-part documentary series called Freed to Kill is scheduled for release in the spring on a major streaming channel. By the way, when director Francis Ford Coppola remastered the three-part Godfather series, he included the Godfather workout in a supplemental disc. Coppola pointed to it as an example of how his movie impacted pop culture. We want to be your favorite true crime podcast, so please recommend us to your friends and leave a review wherever you listen. If you want to receive updates and bonus interviews, join our true crime community at truecrimereporter.com. If you have suggestions or know of a case that we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. This podcast is a trademarked and copyrighted news organization based in Dallas, Texas. You can read more about our news team at truecrimereporter.com. Thanks for listening to our journey into darkness. Please tell your friends who love true crime that they can bypass secondhand tales 
and get their true crime fix here with authentic stories straight from the source. Tell them that True Crime Reporter is one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement victims and even convicted criminals. And sign up for my free newsletter on the homepage of TrueCrimeReporter.com. It's your gateway to a world of knowledge and awareness in the realm of true crime and your personal safety. Thanks for listening, and until we meet again, be prepared, don't get scared. This is Robert Riggs reporting.